Hey everyone, and welcome to the BeFit Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Murphy, a CrossFit athlete and coach, and current managing partner of Big Night Fitness, where we combine nightlife, entertainment, and fitness everywhere from throwing in-person events at nightlife venues in Boston to celebrity training on the road. I just finished off a U.S. bus tour with world-famous DJ Dylan Francis, and in this episode, we talk all things from fitness, his inspiration, and how he got to where he is today. Everyone, welcome to the Be Fit Podcast. Here we have Dylan Francis. And you're going to learn how to be fit. (laughs) That's it. The end. (laughs) We're pretty much wrapped up now. Uh, A man who needs no introduction. Dylan, how have you been? I've been good. I've been really good. Um, We've been touring together. Yeah, I ask you this as if we haven't spent every day together for the last 28 days. I mean, I I didn't see you last night. Um, Mm -hmm. I got, got, you know, a good 12 hours away from you. Yeah, that's true. I left it about (laughs) 1 a.m. Big thing, I want to talk about the fitness side of things because... It's right on par with what we're doing here. But more importantly, I kind of want to talk about what got you into music at first, not just what type of music you like, but what got you into wanting to create music? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a long story, so I'll try to condense it as much as possible. Um, but uh, I had gotten a DUI, and people are probably thinking, what does that have to do with making music? <laughs> Wait for it. Yeah. But I, I, I was working at the hundreds and I got a DUI and I lost my car that my dad had just rented for me or leased for me, not rented, uh, which was this Volkswagen Jetta gone. He was so pissed. And, uh, I really felt like I fucked up pretty bad. I, I got, I was 0.08 by the way, but I was 18 years old. So that's illegal. Um, so don't drink and drive. Uh, but Luckily, in my case, that actually was what helped me be able to be like, all right, I need to figure out what I want to do for my career. And uh, at the time, I was doing a lot of photo assisting um, and it was it was good. It was really good money, um, but it wasn't it wasn't really becoming that fulfilling thing for me. So um, I don't know where during that my friend Eamon started playing me uh, at the time. It was like. Um, I wasn't even labeled EDM, uh, just dance music, but it was the bloody beat roots remix of seek and destroy by Metallica. And when I heard that, I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. This like takes my angst and amplifies it even more. And I want to go and pit to it. Cause I was very much, yeah, I was very much into like industrial and metal music at that time. So then, um, from that, I also was, into turntablism, but not, not like me doing it, watching other people do it. Mm. Um, and, uh, I'd, I'd gotten a Newmark battle pack for Christmas one year and I never ended up using it. Uh, I, I wanted it so badly. And my parents, what is a Newmark Newmark battle pack for those who don't know a Newmark battle pack is a mixer, two turntables and needles, I believe all in a package. Um, and it's everything you needed to be able to be able to play records. And it had slip mats as well. So then I, I had gone to turntable lab and gotten like a roulette of dares, which is basically a, a record where you can, it has like those noises where it's like, so you could go like, can't do that. Um, I bought that in like a jazz fusion CD and I tried to 
cut on it. I was, it was horrible. Um, I also had no reference points or like, I don't think YouTube had as much tutorial stuff as they do now to like learn that what you were doing. Um, but anyways, so, uh, from my friend Eamon showing me that music and me having a new Mark battle pack, I started getting back into that. I, I guess DJing, you know, has to do with that and making electronic dance music. You have to DJ it on either CDJs or turntables. And my friend, Eric, uh, Hamilton, uh, was a DJ at that time and he knew Serato really well. So he showed me Serato. And then during that time I was like, Oh man, I should try to start making music. So I bought Ableton on, um, my credit card. And I was like, all right, if I can, if I buy this and I'm in debt and I need to like get, I need to make sure that I pay this back, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And so like, it, it just gave me a hustle to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a DJ mix. I'm going to go and try to like get booked by places. And somehow I did. And I ended up being able to pay the credit card back and is Ableton. That's Ableton's what, what I make music in make. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I know this is a very complicated story, but this is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we want. This yeah. is what the people want. Uh, um, and, uh, and yeah, th- then I, I, I was friends with this guy, Corey Nita, who goes by Corey enemy and Corey was working with Dallas Austin at the time in Atlanta. And he was going back and forth from LA to Atlanta. And one night we were hanging out and I was like, look, dude, I'd really love to intern for you. Um, I have Ableton. I really want to learn it. And, you know, I was making like horrible edits at the time. And he was like, yeah, if you fly yourself out to Atlanta, I'll let you live with me. Um, you can live on my kitchen floor. We'll get you a blow up mattress and you can be my intern. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And I had 500 bucks to my name, flew out to Atlanta, worked with him for like three months. Um, and it was awesome. I would just watch him in the studio working with other people. And then when that would end, he'd be like, Hey, was like, what do you want to learn? What do you, what did you see me doing that you want to know about? Um, and then him and I started making remixes together and, uh, and then I moved back to my house and, um, or my, not my house, my parents' house in the back house. And they were like, you have to go back to school. And I was like, nah, I can't, I hate school so much. Um, and like, and I was like, I, pr- I proposed if I can't make it happen in music in a year, I'll go back to community college. I'll finish and I'll, I'll try to get into UCLA. And they were like, okay, cool. That's a good deal. Cause I, and then I, my, my whole proposition was like, you know, European kids go off for a year and like travel the world. Like, let me just stay in the back house and do that. Um, and somehow, uh, here I am today sitting here. So when you guys it worked make, out is what I'm saying, <laughs> we know. <laughs> so when you were making remixes to songs, did any of those catch on or catch someone's attention to get you your first gig? Or was it just like, hey, I want to play somewhere and someone took a chance with you? Um, I, I think the first remixes definitely did not catch on too well. I, my music sucked in the beginning, like really bad, really bad dubstep stuff, really bad house stuff. Um, it's probably still really bad. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, I, I it just like, you know, one person that didn't believe in me would have fi- like finally hear something that was decent, I think in their, in their mind. And then I would progressively get better and better. Um, the one track that was like the one that like pushed everything over for me was this song Masta Blasta. Um, I was working, I was working as, uh, this assistant for, uh, DJ ruckus at the time where I would set up his turntables and I would travel with him and 
make sure all this stuff was set up correctly. And if anything messed up, I would fix it for Serato. And, um, this one time we were headed down to San Diego and I had just finished massive blast and, and I had actually slowed the record down to 110 cause I'd been hearing a lot about this Mumatone genre. And I was like, Hey Ruckus, I got a bunch of records for you that if you want to play tonight, you can try. Um, so I sent him a bunch of records, including my own, but didn't label it. And he played that one. He was like, yo, what the, what the fuck is this? This is sick. I was like, really? You really like it? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to play this record tonight. Who made this? And I was like, oh, it was me, actually. And he's like, no way, man. And I was like, yeah, I made that. And he's like, this is fucking incredible. What is this called? I was like, oh, it's a genre called Mumatone. I found it on SoundCloud. And that night when we got to the hotel, I remember I immediately went, I was like, all right, if Ruckus likes it and Ruckus plays like, you know, top tier clubs, he's like, he's at Live and, you know, all those places. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to upload it to SoundCloud. And right when I did that, then this guy Moochie hit me up. And then I told my manager at the time to send it to Diplo. And he sent it to Diplo. And then Diplo ended up liking it and then following me on Twitter. And yeah, that was the one that was like, all right, cool. I think I've finally made enough horrible music that I'm like on the other side of the wall. Yeah. That's awesome. It <clears throat> It kind of seems like each step of the way as far as like, hey, that was my foot in the door. And then I'm guessing there's probably a from the foot in the door to being on the main stage at Coachella to where there's a certain, I don't know if it's a like a driving force or like a certain impetus or a certain song that just sent it to where you were like, holy shit, this is for real. Like, yeah. Like, was there that, that like aha moment or was it just like you had to look back at the last year and be like, how did I get here? <laughs> I think that's what COVID was actually. COVID was like being able to look back because I've been touring for 10 years, maybe longer than that. And you're just kind of in a perpetual forward motion. You don't really like look back to, to see any of that stuff. So it, it was cool to see like what I've cultivated for myself in terms of my career and like being able to play Coachella four times. I think, I think I played it four times. Um, I mean, the fact that I can say I even think I played it four times is pretty incredible for myself. The fact that you don't know how many times you've headlined Coachella is cooler than how many times you've headlined Coachella. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think it, it was that song, Massa Blasta, being able to do that EP with Diplo. Like, he didn't want to do it with me, too. He, was, uh, he only wanted to sign the one record. And I was like, no, no, dude, we got to go do four records. It's the, trust me, it's the thing to do. <laughs> and somehow I hustled him to be able to do it. And... um and what's it called? Uh, even the song ID Gaffos that we ended up putting out on, on Mad Decent. I think that was a really big one for me in Europe that ended up helping me be able to tour in Europe because Avicii played that record on his radio station. Um, so yeah, those are the two records that, that I definitely felt like something was brewing, but I was, I was just really excited. I felt like, um, I was just really happy that I was right. <laughs> You know, because I could have been totally wrong with what I was getting in, into. Yeah. And I, I also didn't have these crazy like, uh, I mean, I did. I did really want to play Coachella. And I remember saying that to one of my friends. Um, but I don't think I had like crazy visions of grandeur. And like, you know, it, it was very simple at the beginning. It was just like, oh, I got it. OK, let's try it for the next thing. Um, I'm sure that's how it works with most artists. <laughs> oh, nailed it. <laughs> Got it. Let's go. <laughs> no, that's that's incredible. It's like it's like the music part of it. And then I want to talk to again before we get into this fitness side of things is 
kind of like the social media presence and acting side of it too is something that seems like you're like, hey, I'll dabble in this and you've also found success in that side of it. What is, what's kind of the best part or what's your, what's the drive to do the acting stuff? Um, well, I'd always wanted to be an actor when I was younger. I think every kid wants to be an actor when they're younger, when they're watching Nickelodeon uh, or, you know, I mean, yeah, Nick was a big one for me because at that time, Nickelodeon, that network had all that. And those were the kids like somewhat in my age range. And when you mm-hmm. saw them, you're like, oh my God, if they can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and also Jim Carrey was like my favorite actor ever. Um, is my favorite actor. He's not dead. So, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, and, and Adam Sandler. Um, so, you also know, happy alive. Gilmore love. Yeah. Also alive and well, and very good still. Um, but, uh, what, 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 <laughs> Like when Vine came around back in, in high school, I had this class called new genres and there was this kid, Will, I forgot his last name, but Will and I used to make these stupid, stupid videos, just making fun of pop culture. And at that time we made fun of like, it was Laguna beach, I think was the show that was like a, a reality TV show. On of, MTV? Yeah. Of just like really well off kids that had like crazy problems because it's so hard when you're dating in Laguna beach and you have to eat a hot pocket (laughs) at night. So it was just like, we would joke about that and and we would act as every single character on the show. It was just him and I, because we were the only people in new genres that I was in visual arts, but in new genres, he let you do whatever you want because it was a new genre. Mm -hmm. So we just made stupid videos and got an A and it was so fun. But from that, when Vine came around, I was like, oh, this is kind of like that class again where I can just do all the stupid shit that I like to do with my friend Will or, um, you know, I mean, we used to make stupid movies when we were younger, too, with my brother and like, you know, home movies of us as cops or whatever, um, <laughs> as kids do. Um, and uh, and yeah, so through Vine that like that popped off and then Instagram did video stuff. And so I just always was like having fun and social media was so new at that time that you could just kind of do whatever you want. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels like now there's this like structure of what you should be doing to see posts. Now it's awful. I hate it. I I remember (laughs) one of the funniest videos that I saw of you. And this is when, when I had first, uh, I, I had known of your music from in the gym. It was always like a big, like hype playlist stuff. And then when your old tour manager, Mike started working with you Good riddance. Uh, I remember Mike. I just kidding. I, I love Mike. I think I talk about Mike on every podcast of some sort of way. So this is He's a good best. way to bring it uh, some negative attention on him. <laughs> um, but I remember seeing the video of when your Get Low album went platinum and they misspelled. Oh yeah, uh, certification. And I remember just seeing that. And laughing to be like, I don't know if this guy is actually mad <laughs> because of, of you just screaming in it. But I was like, this is like what I think is hilarious. It's like, it's, it's not like, hey, follow this template. It was just you just like being ridiculous. Yeah. I was half mad, half not. I just thought it was like, it's just hilarious because there's like one, it's, I just kept thinking there's this, there's this man's job or woman's job, whoever they are, it's their job <laughs> to write certification from the RIAA. Is that what it's called? Yeah. That's your job. My job is to make music. Your job is to write down that this is the correct certification, not certificate showing. 
You did your part. I did my part. I did it, okay? And it was hard to do. <laughs> you know? It was so hard because when we got that Fast and the Furious sync, man, it was hard. <laughs> I hope we can cut out to actually play that video. You can. This I, and then it's somewhere on the, the internet. Cut back in. Oh, and I'm and I'm sure, especially during that time of of everything like blowing up. When we talk about like gold, platinum records, all that stuff, kind of the step before we get into the fitness side of things is probably what drove you towards kind of the health and wellness. I know your your dad is an alternatives medicines uh, mm-hmm. doctor, um, but I'm sure touring and that stuff and being in that spotlight and that had like what all comes around with you know fame and being a celebrity and that relative to the tour that we're doing right now, sorry, relative to the tour that we're doing right now, what was, what was kind of the wildest, but what was the, was the opposite of what we were doing in your experiences? What was like the craziest thing that, that's happened to me? Yeah. Oh man. I hate talking about that. PG 13 <laughs> version of it. Oh man. There's so many. <laughs> I mean, one time I woke up in Williamsburg and I didn't even know I was in Williamsburg. I woke up on a wooden floor and, uh, there were two people. Well, I didn't know they were asleep. They could have been dead. (laughs) They weren't, (laughs) but I woke up and I look around and it's just me and these two ran this, this couple, I think It it was a man and a woman. Um, and I look around and I'm like, where the fuck am I? I check my phone, dead. I have no fucking idea. I hear them start to rustle. I lay back down to pretend I'm asleep. And I the the girl like kind of wakes up and she goes, Holy fucking shit. And then goes back to bed. And after they go back to bed, I'm like staying there and I'm like, oh, I gotta go. I gotta get the fuck out of here. So I, I wait to like, you know, when you wake up like that, she probably woke up drunk and then w- went back to bed. Um, and we weren't in a, this, we were all on the floor. There was no bed. There was no couches there. I think it was broken glass. Um, and so I got up, walked down these stairs and opened the door and I'm in some weird neighborhood and I see a McDonald's down the street and I'm like, fuck it. I got to go to McDonald's and call a taxi cab and get back to my, uh, hotel. And, uh, I get over there, call a taxi cab, get, I have staying in this like hotel. That's like a, what, just a cube. I forgot. Do you know what that hotel is in New York? That's like the, it's the shitty cube hotel. What is it? The Yotel. That's what it's called. The Yotel. There's I was a saying Yotel here in Boston, <laughs> right down the street from here. So that's going to be relevant. People are going to be like, I know what that's <laughs> yeah. like. I was staying in the Yotel. Um, I, I think I had played at, uh, what, um, fuck, what's that venue called? What's the, no, not Terminal 5. It was the other one. Uh, they just reopened it. Webster Hall. I had played Webster Hall. No, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I, I think I probably played girls and boys. And so I get back to the hotel and I charge my phone and the girl that I was hanging out with, that was actually her place that hasn't been, that hadn't been, uh, you know, uh, decorated, you know, just decorated with bottles, <laughs> broken, <laughs> broken glass. glass bottles. And, uh, she was like, yeah, you just fell asleep. You just fell asleep on the floor. And no one could wake you up. So it was getting late and I just decided to go home to wherever her other home was. <laughs> so they left me on the floor and I guess the two people stayed there to make sure I was okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was, um, 
That was the good old times of being what? That was probably like 20, 24, 25. Years old. 25 years old. Yes. (laughs) I'm 34 now. Okay. It's like eight, eight or nine years ago. Yeah. And I guess now leading into the the point where we can bring in kind of the B-Fit <laughs> stuff, you know, I've, I've been working with you kind of on one-off stuff and 2019 was our first tour. And I remember coming back from that tour and everyone being like, how wild was it? And it was like, it was really cool, but we just worked out and ate like really well. And people were like, yeah, yeah. man. Totally. And, and and now it's pushing it to where it doesn't seem that outrageous because of all of the like the health concerns that are happening. But I think you're one of the first artists that have really taken it into consideration to where it is diet, it is it is exercise, it's multiple times a day, it's bringing a trainer on the road, it is equipment and all of that stuff. Where has that, you know, where did that drive come from? We'll start off with that question. Like, what was the driving force behind you wanting Wanting to do that. Um, I mean, yeah, it was definitely like my dad is a, is a cool dude. Um, he's an alternative medicine doctor. He's always been a huge proponent of like, you, you gotta, you gotta take care of your body. You gotta take your herbs. You know, when I was growing up, I was taking this stuff called sun chlorella. I hope one person in the comments at least knows what that is. The war, but it's good. It's good. It's really good for you. I think it's like filled with like spirulina and all that stuff. But man, did that suck being taken when I was like 10 and you have to take 20 of them every day and they taste like grass and just vomit. (laughs) And, uh, but, but, um, whenever I would come back from tour, you know, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, my dad would always, be like, were you working out? You don't, you don't look like it. <laughs> so he always did like little jabs um, at me, not in a mean way. Uh, it, it was in a good way of like, you know, he would also come up to me and be like, hey, do you, do you have time to have a conversation about your body? And I'd be like, mm, no. And then sometimes I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. And then he'd be like, oh, you look, you got to work out on, on the road, man. You just look so much better when you do, and it's going to help you. And it's going to make sure that you can keep going and you're not going to fall behind and blah, 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 blah. And as you get older, you start to realize how much you should really listen to your parents. <laughs> you know, each year you're just like, okay, yeah, I fucked up again. I should have listened to my dad. Okay, yeah, I fucked up. I should have listened to my mom. Okay, I keep fucking up and I should have listened to my parents. Um, luckily, I had a lot of friends like... Diplo is a huge influence on working out. Like that dude works out twice a day. I think, um, probably drinks once or twice a month. If that, um, sorry, Wes, if I'm outing your, uh, your, your workout routine slash drinking schedule. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I like, you know, watching him, I was like, Oh my God, you see how much he works. And you, you think in your head, like, oh, man, that guy must be... Like, just the people that, that tell it's oh, working out. Rah. Yeah. You're like, no, that dude is, that dude's working out twice a day and he's not drinking. That's how he's able to go and tour as much as he does. That guy tours harder than any human being I've ever known. My dad did... Well, actually, I can't say... That's, there's... HIPAA. I can't. Yeah, there's the HIPAA right there. So never mind. He's going to have to come on and tell you. Um, but but he told me, so I'm not, I'm not breaking the HIPAA. Um, but uh, I don't... 
what's it called? Um, so anyways, back to me instead of Wes. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> another friend as well was, uh, is, I don't know why I keep saying was Calvin Harris is still alive. Uh, Calvin works out all the time, barely drank as well. So those were two big influences on me as I was coming up in my career. And, um, you know, hangovers get worse and worse as, as they do. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just tough. Having a hangover on a bus is way different than having a hangover in a bed. It, I don't think people really understand that. Um, and so, you know, after a few times you, you do a tour and you, you drink every night and you're eating pizza and you're falling asleep on the bus and you're like in your little coffin bed with no lights, you end up sleeping till four and you don't do anything in the cities. Um, so from that, that's where I was like, all right. And you know, shout out to Mike. Mike was the one that was like, Hey, should we, should we do this? Should we bring Connor out on tour and, and we'll just work out on tour the whole time. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, that sounds amazing. Like no drinking. We're going to feel good. We're probably going to wake up early. And we did. I think we woke up at one every day that we got in or like even earlier at nine sometimes. And we went and saw the city worked out. And I mean, half the crew lost like 10 to 20 pounds. I mean, right now, even from the tour that we're doing, I'm already down like 10 pounds and there's a before picture we can put up and then we'll put up an after picture. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll wait for the end of the tour and then, yeah. and then we'll release that. But um, I mean the before, before me getting on tour, I told Connor, I was like, I've been a bad boy. <laughs> you didn't have to tell me. <laughs> he saw. <laughs> Dylan's like, oh, Connor's going to come on tour. So I may as well do absolutely nothing for the entire month of December. <laughs> I was indulging. Hey, I was indulging. Um, well, I think the, the, the coolest part about this is not just like, hey, look at me, I'm fit and I'm healthy. But whenever I post stuff on my Instagram about, hey, what questions do you have? The biggest thing is it's like, wait, Dylan really goes out and, and does this stuff without drinking. And he's, I mean, even last night at the show, I had a friend who was like, I can't believe he goes out there and does this. <laughs> and and when I think about it, I'm like, I couldn't imagine how you could do it with drinking. And when I see, you know, your energy levels, obviously sometimes we go a little too hard and you're sore when you're, you know, <laughs> up there moving around. But the consistency and energy from training, from eating well, I mean, do you feel that when you play relative to other tours? Do you feel, I mean, obviously the effects afterwards to where you finish a tour and you feel good. But even like during shows, is it, is it something that you feel the benefit from, from that workout that day? Um, probably. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's th like for me, I, I can play if I'm drinking, I actually probably enjoy it a lot more as it, as anyone would, you enjoy stuff a lot when you're drinking. It's that's just how it is. Okay. That's what drinking is. I agree. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't, but the, the, the difference is that if you're drinking constantly, it's really hard to play a show when you're not drinking because then you have to do it sober. But when you're doing it sober and you keep doing it, it just becomes like way easier and easier. And then you start, I don't know, you start saying different things or doing different things at shows and mental clarity and all that stuff. Um, so uh, I definitely think I have more energy um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really just enjoyable to not, <laughs> to not wake up with a hangover. And I mean, I, I when I was 18... I had to do uh, Alcoholics Anonymous 
with my friend Eamon. And I think that's like one of the main things. Don't worry, Eamon's not anonymous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and that was one of the main things that, I, that during that time I was like, this is, I think the best thing, Eamon, is that you wake up without a hangover. And I was 18. My hangovers weren't that bad. So I always remembered that when I took that like sabbatical from drinking from getting my DUI because I did six months where I just didn't drink. And, you know, that's where like you, you start going out and you, you get rid of anxiety of thinking like, oh man, I couldn't do that. Like if you don't have something as a crutch to lean, to lie back on, the more you go out and do something that's not with that crutch, you get better and better at it. So. Yeah. And I've, I've yet to meet someone who is like, I took six months off drinking or I took two weeks <laughs> off drinking and it was, a, it was a bad experience. My I, life I, fell I, apart. Yeah, I really wish I would have been drinking during that time period or people who don't, <laughs> you know, drink. there's a lot of artists who gave it up completely just from, I'm, I'm sure, you know, seeing you, you mentioned people like Calvin Harris and Diplo and you're like, those are two of like the very top of the industry. And if, and if they're squared away and they're focusing on their health, yeah, sure. You can come up and I'm sure like everyone did, everyone had that, you know, the party phase and everything, yeah. but for longevity in it, you can't do it. No, it's impossible. I mean, that, that was, um, when, when I was doing the, the stuff at home with my parents where I was there for a year mm -hmm. and the, one of the, one of the rules that they had with, with me was that I had to go see this life coach named Breck and he was incredible and I'm so glad I did it. Um, and I'm so glad that they made me do it because that was one of the things that he was always saying every single time we, we would talk was Dylan, you're, you're going into an, into an industry that is surrounded by alcohol, drugs, partying. And if you can, you know, make that a minimum of your life, you're going to excel way more than anybody else because that's how a lot of people, you know, boom, you do that. You don't want to do that. You yeah. just want to kind of, you want to keep going up like that steadily low trajectory to a distant horizon. Yes, exactly. It's compounding Warren Buffett. Um, <laughs> and you know, I don't, I don't want to drag on too much here or go a long way, but I, uh, <clears throat> I think it's really cool that you can influence other people as opposed to just being like Dylan has incredible music. I love his social media presence, but I think even more in like a positive light for someone to be like, this is, this is the caliber of person that I want to be like, I, I want to be like him on social media. I want to be able to produce music but then they see the health sides of it. And I think that's where it's a cool influence for big night fitness to be able to be a part of that, to get to a bigger crowd of people to be like, Hey, we're not saying you're not allowed to do this. Yeah. You can't party. You can't have fun and do this stuff. But having that balance and being able to live this lifestyle and do that, I think can reach so many people and maybe that, that turning point for someone to, you know, take a night off a week or to get back into the training. So I think even more than you already influence people, it's just so cool to see and have you, you know, come on the podcast and even talk about that and your experiences with it. Thanks. I'm an influencer, baby. What's up? Influencing you Friday through Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we've got. Dylan, thanks again. That's it. We don't, on. we don't want to talk about the amazing uh, diets you've put me through and all the um, incredible everything else we can't give away all of the secrets okay true so true. if you guys are listening to this this is bfit's first podcast there's been a bunch of people who've wanted to come on but i wanted to save it from a man Thank dylan you, francis darling. we still have a few more weeks left of the tour uh so if you're listening to this now the tour is probably over so sorry um <laughs> but a lot of good information here about what we're doing for diet uh the consistency that dylan has and a lot more stuff to come out 
Uh, so stay tuned with everything, and you can find Dylan on social media at Dylan Francis. Pretty much, if you can't find him, then you need to figure something else out. So yeah, just Google that name. And if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs>